Okay. This might work. This is probably not going to work. It's going to be great. With the encouragement of the congregation, it will work. There you go. For her sake. Come on. So we've got to start this thing off. Thanks, man. Oh, yeah, okay, I need my name badge, right, So a okay. while ago, we started our series, It's a Family Affair, which is all about the life of Abraham, or as we started the series, the life of Abraham. Sorry, it's on your hair. Oh. Ow, oh boy. Oh, great. And Sarai, okay, Whoops. there she is. I'm going to be Sarai for the purposes of this demonstration. Hi, um, Abraham. I, I'm Abraham, we're on safe territory with that. And this week, we're going to finish the series. This is our last message from It's a Family Affair. Oh. Sad times. But we, you know, we, we had a week, week where we did something different last week. So I came up with this way of retelling the story of Abram and Sarai. Claire Taylor is already wetting herself laughing. In kind of speed and with some in- dramatic interpretation. We're just going to have to get going, aren't we? I'm stalling yeah. here. All right, let me put my mic down. Okay. Are you ready for this? I'm ready for this. I'm not sure I am. <laughs> okay, ready? Oh, no, my badge. How will you know what my name is? Yeah. Wait for the tune. We're ready. This is very music dependent. Hey, you're looking a bit grey. like I should be narrating this. So that was meant to be half. So the first one was uh, 75. Abraham and Sarah were old when their lives started. Their mission in God started. Then Abraham told a half-truth, because it's half for a half-truth. And he, uh, he told everybody that Sarah was his sister instead of his wife and said, where's my ring gone? I got, got it. it. Right, so Sarah, I'm, I'm back again. Okay, we're married. From Pharaoh. Hooray, we are now married, married again. I'm no longer being your sister. now we are sheep. Now we're sheep. Okay, okay. next. Where's my gong stick gone? Okay. I need some space. This place isn't big enough for us. I'm going this way. I am now lost. Yeah, well, I'm going this way. And I've left you, Abraham. Goodbye, Abraham. Goodbye. We have parted ways. We have parted ways. We have separated. Okay, hit the gong. Wait. Oh, yeah, the gong. Wait, 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 wait. Next.
give me this ten percent of all that I want. Okay, I'll bring you riches and wealth. And thank you very much. Let's suppose that you're writing a really important email to a colleague. Honestly, I tell you, you can find all of that in the Bible. Um, uh, all right, okay. Well, most of it. I'm, I think the stuffed animals and fighting with umbrellas is largely optional. Um, so, oh, I'll turn that one off. So everyone remembers the life of Abraham now, right? We all feel like it's coming floating. <laughs> As you've never seen him before. So clearly, we want to wrap up with one final talk that actually probably more accurately reflects the content of the Bible than some of what we were just doing there. Um, And the last thing I want to share from the life of Abraham is something that's been really helpful for me uh, in different ways over the years, and that is how focused Abraham is. But just to kind of get us thinking about that, I just want to see if there's any... uh, Motorsport fans with us this morning. Does anyone know how old Lewis Hamilton was when he first appeared on TV? 15? 17? 8? 12? 
Some, some of you are higher, lower, higher, lower. 19, lower. Oh, oh, someone knows about the go-karts. 12, not bad. Do you know he was 7 when he first appeared on TV? Someone said 7, just not very loudly. Oh, well, okay, but we'll give you some credit for that. Uh, so hopefully we're going to see Lewis Hamilton, age 7, first appearance on TV. like these are getting ready to compete in the World Championships. Someone who's preparing for those very same championships is Lewis Hamilton, who's only seven years old. So how long have you been racing cars for already, Lewis? That year. So you must be pretty good at it. Is it easy to do? No. What do you have to do then? This is the brake. That's the brake. Oh, you need the brake. And these are the steering. That's your steering wheel, right and left. Okay, now, um, do you think I'll be able to have a go? Yeah. You sure? Well, they're under starters' orders for the Blue Peter Mini Grand Prix. Three, two, one, go! And I'm last already. Hope you like to do that. Straight back to the track. I'm going to be last. Hope it's been brought back on. And cars are over me all the time. And we have a winner! Who won the race? Lewis, well done. Congratulations. Well, Michael Mansell, eat your heart out. The radio-controlled modern car racers are hot on your heels. It's just incredible, isn't it? He's seven years old. And did you see, like, the line of all the other kids? And there's this tiny Lewis Hamilton. Yes, that is the winner. They were, like, twice his age and twice as tall as him. Uh, but what I love about that clip is how in, in the background you've got the presenter going, oh, and is it quite hard? And he's like this, yes. He's just totally focused on what he's doing. And that was something that people said about Lewis Hamilton as a young driver, as a young man, was that he was just incredibly focused on what it was he wanted to achieve. In the race, the other kids were kind of, uh, with the cars, might be distracted by stuff going on around them. But he was incredibly focused, a great skill in life at the age of... So that was him at age seven. At the age of 10, he started racing uh, carts at the age of... 13, I think it was, he, uh, let me see if I can get this right. Yeah, I think it was age of 10, he won the, the GB Karting Championship. Um, and as he was on the sort of winner's podium, he met the guy who headed up Team McLaren at the time, the Formula One team. This guy came to present a trophy to these karting champions. And Lewis Hamilton asked for his autograph and, uh, and said, I, would, I want to race for your team. And the guy wrote, you know, gave his autograph and said, give me a call in nine years. Well, actually, it was three years later that Lewis Hamilton enrolled in the driving academy at McLaren and uh, kind of worked his way up through the ranks of the different motorsports up to uh, Formula 3, then whatever it is, GP2, then Formula 1. Uh, and at the age of, uh, I think he was the age of 22, he had his first championship competing in Formula 1 itself. And in his first year in Formula 1, he came second in the championship that year. And, you know, just all that little, that little kid going, mm, is it hard? Yes, leave me alone. I just want to focus. Focus is incredible. And that guy had just incredible focus and still, I think, does have incredible focus on what he wanted to achieve. Some other people who have inspired me over the years, most of us will have heard of Bill Gates. Some people might have heard of a guy called Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett is an investor in America, and him and Bill Gates kind of take it in turns to be number one, number two, number three in the uh, richest men in the world, richest people in the world stakes. And they were at a dinner party one evening that Bill Gates, uh, his mum, was hosting. So I just I love the idea of Bill Gates, his dear old mum, gathered a few close friends, including the two richest men in the world at the time, and uh, wanted to say, hey, so, so she was trying to get the conversation started and going with everyone, and she said, well, everyone here, so what do you think is, you know, what's, made, what's that one thing that's made you most 
successful in life. And Bill Gates and Warren Buffett both agreed focus is what had made them so successful in their lives. Focus. So I want to introduce one third person uh, to that group who really knew what it was to focus on the right thing in tough times, and it's Abraham. Abraham from the Bible had an, an incredible ability at times we read about to focus on the right thing and not get lost in the wrong thing. So we find it in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. I think we're going to go from verse 8 through to verse 10. So up here on the screens, if you want to read it with me, or you can find it on your Bibles and devices. And so Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8 says this, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. Now, here it is. So, verse 10, for he was looking forward. Everyone join me. Say forward. Forward. He was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Let's pray, and we'll unpack this together. Father, I thank you for the life of Abraham. Thank you for all that he represents to us, that family likeness. I thank you for all we've learned and drawn from his life in these past few weeks. Father, I pray this morning that you will help each one of us to draw more from him, more from his life, more from his example, more from all that he was and all the Bible tells him about him. God, I pray you'll draw that out in our lives and make that real and something we're able to live out in this time. Amen. Amen. So for me, this, the heart of this whole thing is Abraham's focus. He was looking forward. Really specifically, the Bible says he was looking forward. And so there's a few things I want to say just to draw out, well, what is that not? So the first thing I want to say is forward is not sideways. Forward is not sideways. I think we live in a generation, in a time of, of our lives and in this world where it is incredibly easy to be distracted by so many things that are going on sideways. There is just so much stuff around, so much content, whether it's on social media, in the world around us, in people's lives that we see. It's so easy to be distracted by everything that's going on sideways. Karis was talking on Friday night about a study that one of the big banks has put out. And on average, people spend 80 minutes every day on stuff online that they actually know they don't really want to be doing. 80 minutes, almost an hour and a half of our time that we admitted in a survey as a nation, we waste our time 80 minutes per day on average. Sideways is incredibly distracting. You know, when I was growing up, my, I remember the time my parents explained to me about what the phrase keeping up with the Joneses meant. Many of us probably will know that phrase as well. You know, Mrs. Jones down the road has bought a new Dyson, and now we want a new Dyson because we want to keep up with the Joneses. And in this kind of social media age, it's so incredibly easy not just to know what Mrs. Jones is going to be buying, but to know all about it because she's been blogging about it or posting it or sending photos of it. You know, so five days before she gets her new car, you know she's going to get a new car because she's put on Facebook, oh, five days to my new car. So we begin to think, oh, it must be normal to always be getting a new car. And then she puts on you know, the, the selfie, Shh, here's me driving to the new car selfie, as you do. And then she posts about, you know, just going to visit my sister in my new car. And then she talks about, you know, what playlist. Anyone got an ideas for a playlist? 
this that I can play in my new car. And then there's the, um, I've just washed my car selfie, you know, leaning on it. And you know everything in excruciating detail that's going on with Mrs. Jones's new car because she's posting it everywhere and that, whatever it might be. And what, what won't get put up online is um, the other stuff that's going on sideways, the fact that Mr. and Mrs. Jones had an argument about whether they needed the new car. Mrs. Jones hasn't put online. She's actually quite worried about how she's going to keep affording the higher purchase finance on her new car. She's worried about that, but she's not putting it on Facebook. That's one of the challenges we live in this world. I've heard it said that the the challenge of Instagram is we spend a lot of time comparing our own backstage. Everything goes on inside of us and behind the scenes with us. We compare everything that's backstage with us with the highlight reel of what's going on with everybody else. And there's a real challenge of, of the comparison game that we see around us. I remember one of the Colombian pastors sharing that comparison is a lose-lose game. If you compare yourself with somebody who's doing the same as you, then you start to feel complacent. If you compare yourself with somebody who's doing worse than you, you start to feel proud. And if you compare yourself with someone who's doing better than you, you just start to feel jealous. Comparison is just a lose-lose, and I think it's almost never been easier than it is today to get engaged in the comparison game. And there's a concern, and we read in the life of Abraham, he wasn't up for any of that. He was looking forwards. He wasn't looking sideways. Karis was telling me about a, an article she read uh, about a young lady who was a fitness blogger online. And she felt this compelling, she was making a, a living actually, she left her job and started making a living as a fitness blogger and posting all of her workouts and her ideas and uh, getting sponsored to advertise different products and the, the site that she was hosting would have pop-up adverts and so on. So actually she found she could make a, a pretty good living from being a, a fitness blogger online, except that she was getting all of this input about what normal fitness bloggers looked like and it was pushing her harder and harder and harder to the point where she went to see her doctor and realized she'd lost I think two stone in a three-month period her resting heart rate had fallen to 30 beats per minute that's about half to two-thirds the sort of average her blood sugar was at dangerously low levels and as she she described as she was sitting in the doctor's surgery all she was thinking was I shouldn't be here I need to be in the gym because I haven't done my workout today because what she's seen and filtered sideways was that that was the normal way to live. She'd seen everybody else's highlight reel, and she was comparing that with what she thought she ought to be like, how she thought she ought to look, how she thought she ought to believe. So sideways is an incredibly dangerous time. As a father of a, of a little girl, I'm just very conscious. You know, I, Last week, I think it was, I was reading a Disney princess book with Stella, and I said to her, wow, that princess is very thin. Where do you think she keeps her lungs? And we see these images. It's just fantasy land. Some of the stuff that is available out there. And as the father of a five-year-old girl, hey, I want her to enjoy Disney. You know, I love Disney. I just think there's some great fun stuff out there. But sometimes I look at these pictures, all these dolls that she has, and I'm like, like seriously, Stella, if it... I didn't say quite like that to her, but I look at it in my internal monologue. You know, where is this girl keeping her internal organs? She is the wrong shape. And society at large is saying that that is the right shape. Sideways is just an incredibly dangerous place for comparison. P 
Pinterest has been a great source of entertainment for me. I can't use Pinterest personally, right? I've got no idea about that thing. But secondhand, my life has been enormously enriched by Pinterest. You know, I can't remember the last time we planned a party or, you know, went for a trip or did craft with the kids or half... Some of the ideas Karis has for like homeschool with the kids comes from Pinterest boards, right? The decoration in our new house, I'm certain there will be a Pinterest mood board about you know, what paint samples we should have and, and all that stuff. So on the one hand, like, it's brilliant. It's a great tool, some really great fun stuff out there. And uh, there's a great site called Pinterest Fails. You may have come across it already. But there's just some quality stuff about people who have seen, you know, oh, well, so-and-so on Pinterest made it look like this. And, and then they've tried to do it. So the most famous one is probably the baby with the pumpkin. Has anyone seen that one before? So on the... On your left, you can see, you know, this cute, happy little toddler. I don't know where they found her. They gave her a lot of cowpaw before that shot, I think. And so she's like, oh, good, I'm wearing a pumpkin. And on the other side is reality. And so I love Pinterest Fail because it keeps us grounded. Um, the British Bake Off has done a few as well, so we, I think we've got some others. We've got some Bake Off Fails. Yes, there's Elmo on the left, and there's the Halloween Nightmare on your right. Uh, there's, I think there's the Vampire Hedgehog. Yeah, that one's just weird, so let's move on. And there's the last one, I think. There we go. Um, (laughs) Who are these people kissing me? (laughs) The baby seems to say. So I love Pinterest Fail because, you know, comparison sideways is a dangerous game. So I kind of want to throw it out for us as a church and the people, hey, let's be grounded in this, okay? Let's not let the things we see sideways around us set our expectation for what normal looks like, an expectation about what material wealth we should gain in life or what level of holiday we should expect to take or how I should expect to be allowed to spend my time. I owe it to myself to have a night to chill out. It's perfectly normal to spend that much on clothes. It's normal to you know, buy a new car every two years. Whatever it is that the world at large is telling us is normal and true, We need to be those people who say, well, look, that's just what's going on sideways. But actually, Abraham didn't look sideways. Abraham looked forwards. And so we don't take our lead. We don't take our direction. We don't take our our influence of what normal looks like from what happens sideways. We take it from what's forward. So I'm going to come on and unpack that some more. But let's just mark that with ourselves and make a determination. We're not going to be influenced by sideways. We're going to be influenced by forward. The second thing I want to say is that forwards is, it's very obvious for you, forwards is not backwards. Is everybody with me on this point? We've got that one, okay? So forwards, ah, this is forwards, is not backwards. Let me unpack what that means because Abraham probably had plenty of opportunities in his life to look backwards, I think he probably had plenty of opportunities to be pulled back into the past. And you know, the place where he originally moved from when he was just a wee spring chicken before he was 75, he was in a, 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 a land, a city called Ur of the Chaldeans. And the, the archaeologists have, have dug that up. And it's a big place compared to anywhere else of relative size or relative age at that time in history. Huge city by comparative standards, center of commerce, center of culture, center of business, center of you know, everything that was good and interesting going on in the Middle East at the point in time when he was alive probably could have been found in that city, Ur. 
So actually he had plenty of opportunity to look back and when maybe the things of God weren't working out for him, I think it probably would have been very easy for him to go, mm, I just miss her. I'm starting to feel a bit sorry for myself here. I feel that pull towards where I was before, that sort of that call back to, wouldn't life have been better if I'd stayed in Ur? Maybe this whole adventure, maybe this whole journey that God called me on was just a fool's errand. Maybe I should have stayed in Ur. I think he could have quite easily been drawn backward to that old life and lifestyle. I think maybe he could have been drawn backwards into disappointment. Maybe at a different stage in his life, he would have been looking back and saying, hey, God, I thought you promised me children. God, I thought you promised me descendants. And I, I don't have any. And there was, we read the story where he's complaining to God about the only heir I'm going to have is Eliezer of Damascus. Disappointment towards God. God, I'm looking backwards over my life and it's just disappointing me. God, I'm looking backwards over my life and it's just disappointing. God, I'm a f- how dare you not fulfill your promise, God? You've let me down. God, you promised me you'd do something in my life, but I'm just, God, I can't believe you did that to me. I'm just hurt by how you let me down. Maybe it was easy for Abraham to look backward in that way. Maybe he would have looked backward at the, the way he tried to set things up with his, wife, uh, with his maid, Hagar, and, and look at that and say, God, why didn't my plan work out? I had a plan that could have worked. I had a plan where we, I could have made that boy into my heir, but God, you didn't let that happen. God, I'm looking backwards. Why didn't that work out? And again, I can see maybe in his experiences of choosing not to look backwards at an old lifestyle, choosing not to look backwards at things that didn't go exactly the way he had planned for them to go. Maybe there's something for us to learn from that because Abraham's focus was forward. So we don't want to be those people who look backward. We don't want to be those people who say, God, I miss that old lifestyle that I used to have before I was a Christian. Maybe my life would be better if I'd never left that old lifestyle that I used to have before I was a Christian. Maybe my life would be simpler. Maybe my life would be easier if I was just back in that other time. Maybe that's a, a challenge for some of us. Maybe for, for others of us, it's that thought about not looking backward over the things where we feel God has disappointed us or where we thought things were going to go in a particular direction and it just didn't work out like that. That we're replaying that over and over and saying, God, why didn't it work out the way I wanted it to? I had a plan. Why didn't that plan work out? God, I thought you spoke to me about this happening, but why hasn't that worked out? God, why is it not being quite how... I expected. Why, why, why looking backward? God's released an incredible way for us to not look backward. It's called the cross. Andy started sharing some stuff about that during the worship time. It's great to hear him talking about that. But when I think of the cross, that's where God says all of that stuff that didn't go exactly as you planned, all of that stuff that you might regret from your own life, all of that stuff where you feel maybe you made mistakes, all of that stuff where other people made mistakes and it's hurt you. God's made provision for us to leave that at the cross. That's the picture of Jesus drawing all of that stuff to himself. And we can let it go and let him take it and hold on to it. I don't know if you've ever been to uh, an airport and... You know you kind of go through various security checks at the airport when you're leaving. You have to go through passport control. You have to go through customs. And then at whatever stage, you get to the baggage reclaim area with those big 
uh, conveyor belt, go round and round, and you see everyone else's luggage. <laughs> and you're like, where's my luggage? And eventually, some luggage that you might like the look of comes around, and you grab it, and you hope for the best. And so if you've ever been to that sort of part of the airport, you'll, you'll remember that, right? And at Newcastle Airport, the baggage reclaim hall leads out towards the main body of the airport, and you've got these massive sliding doors. If you've ever been to Newcastle Airport, you'll know what I'm talking about. Big sliding doors, and then a small hallway with this black and yellow stripy tape all along the floor, and then another set of double doors. And as you get to the first set of doors, there's a massive sign on there saying, once you go through these doors, you cannot go back through these doors. Make sure you've taken everything with you when you go through these doors. Do not even think about coming back through these doors. They're really serious with this sign, okay? So you get to the doors, and, and they definitely want you to know that once you go forward, you can't go backward. Well, a few years ago, <laughs> when Leo was about one, we took him on this, com- well, we took ourselves, really, and he had to come along with us. It was safer than leaving him in the house on his own. And we took him to this conference in Sweden and flew back into Newcastle Airport and picked up our luggage and got to the doors. And I think Karis and Leo were behind me, and I had uh, the push chair, which we'd borrowed, actually, from, from someone else in the church. And we had the push chair, and I was just getting out. And as I got through these first set of doors, I was on the black and yellow tape, I realized the pushchair was broken. So without really, they'd broken it somewhere in transit. So without really thinking about it, I just sort of started to turn around and say, I'd better go and find someone to complain to. And then, (laughs) these red flashing lights in the ceiling that I hadn't really noticed before came on, and a voice came over the tannoy, Sir, do not go backwards. (laughs) Please leave the doors. And I was like, but my kid's back there, I need to... And I, I don't know who I was talking to, but you know how when you hear that voice over the loudspeaker, you just argue with it anyway. So I was sort of trying to say... And so, you know, this voice from the sky, do not go backwards. And so I dutifully... I couldn't, because they locked the doors, so I went out and had to wait for everybody else outside and then sort everything out. I just think sometimes Christians need something a bit like that. Very often we find we're in that room and... We're sort of trying to go forwards. There's a set of double doors here, perfectly easy for us to walk through, but we start finding ourselves going backwards, whether that's to the things of the past that we've been worrying about or our regrets or the things we can't let go of that happened to us that we're still hurt over. And what we really need is a voice from the sky to say, do not go back through those doors. And as a pastor, it would just be wonderful if you were allowed to do that to people. You know, I'd keep a megaphone and we'd have the chat and the conversation and people would say, oh, I just feel really hurt about this thing. And I'd say, I got something to help you with that. Do not go back through those doors. It'd just be brilliant. It would make being a pastor so easy. And I just feel like sometimes, wouldn't it be great if we could receive that voice from the sky and learn that actually forwards is not going backwards. God's call for his people is to focus forwards, to let go of those things, to feel totally released and to live totally released and free of those things. And that is why we love life class. We love the encounter that's in the middle of life class because that is just a great opportunity to push into God's word in the Bible, to push into prayer, to push into the things of God and be let him help us and heal us and shape us and help us close the door 
on the stuff that we want to leave in the past and really start out on a great life and future with him. So if you're sort of hearing some of that and thinking, you know, yeah, there is some stuff in my past I want to let go of. There is some stuff I need to move on from. There is a, a forward that I want to step into. Life class could just be a great opportunity for you to do that, to really shut the door and move forward in the things and in the purpose of God. So don't miss it. See Karis, sign up, get there great opportunity for us all to really encounter the cross and move forward. So the last point really is about, well, what is forwards, right? So forwards is not sideways. Forwards is not backwards. Forwards is heavenwards. Forwards is heavenwards. You see, Abraham's focus was towards a city with foundations whose builder and architect was God. He's looking to the heavenly city. He's looking to a city that God is designing and God is building. He's looking heavenwards. He's looking heavenwards. He's looking forwards and upwards that whole time. Now, it's a really interesting thing that these words come together. The phrase, the architect and the builder, they come as a package you know, if you've got your Bible with you, feel free to draw a box around that and make it really clear that those words, you can't separate them. You can't have one and not the other. And a lot of times in life, I encounter people who think that they're going to be the architect, the designer, and do all the idea generation and come up with what everything's going to look like in their life, in their future, in their time, in their plans, everything like that. And they're going to be the architect. But somewhere in this, we expect God to come along and sprinkle holy water over my architectural designs and make it all kosher and good and legit, and then for him to do all the heavy lifting and do the building. You know, the Hebrews tells us it just doesn't work like that. Architect and builder, draw a box around it. It's one package. If God designs it, he'll build it. But if he didn't design it, we can't expect him to build it. It comes as one package. Yeah, and I'll tell you something else about it. God is a great architect. If you're in any doubt about the ability of our God to do architecture and put a shoulder to it and then build the thing, you just step outside into our great creation. See everything that he's made out there. Isaac Newton once said that in the absence of any other proof, the human thumb alone would convince him of the existence of God. Isaac Newton, great scientist, far smarter person than I may ever hope to be, I suspect. The human thumb alone I remember Clive sharing when his daughter Karis was, my wife Karis was born, he said that you know, just looking at her, her baby fingers just convinced him of God's ability to design just in the smallest possible details of things. You know, the universe is huge, wide, far-reaching. Thousands and thousands and millions and billions and septillions of stars out there. And yeah, I think I shared the stats I came across that there's more... Uh, atoms in one grain of sand than there are stars in the entire sky. When God does architecture, he really knows what he's about. He is a much better designer and architect than any one of us could hope to be. So we should accept his package and let him do the planning because then he'll do the heavy lifting. Do you know, not letting him be the architect, can you imagine a scenario where, well, let me put it like this. Okay, so some friends of ours... uh, live out to the west of the city, and recently had um, some, quite a lot of work done on their house. They had it actually done, they uh, applied to be on a TV program called Inside Out on Channel 4. Some of you might have seen it, I'm not a huge fan of these design programs. But uh, yeah, so on Channel 4, this uh, design program 
and, uh, and, and they had their whole house effectively. It was a bungalow. Most of it sort of knocked down, rebuilt into this two-story beautiful thing, really lovely. And we happened to be driving near their house one day, three or four months ago. We were driving in the sort of same sort of area. We said, well, we'll just go and see if they're home. We'll swing by and see if they're home. We'll say hi, if they, see if they've moved into the house that's just being built. And we parked up, and by the weirdest sort of coincidence, as we parked up, there was a, a TV drone flying in the sky above their house, and it turned out that we happened to be there on the final day of filming, the big unveil of this house that had been designed and built. And we went in, and we said hello to them. We said, look, we won't intrude. Wherever. They said, no, stay, come, hang around. Go. Meet the production crew and everyone who's worked so hard to you know, dress the house and put all the furniture in and everything they do at the uh, at that kind of final stage for the, for the filming. So we were meeting a few people, and I like to think I'm quite polite. And because I just randomly turned up in this house, I was saying hello to people and introducing myself. And so I said hello to this lady. I said, oh, what do you do? Oh, you're one of the production crew. And she helped with some of the design work and sourcing the furniture. I met this guy up here, and I said, oh, and what do you do? And uh, he said, I am the architect. <laughs> oh, right. Sorry, didn't know that. Now, what it turns out is it's, it's sort of a, a design show, but actually most of it is about the architect. And he's quite famous in architectural circles. And for people who watch design TV programs, he's quite famous. And I didn't know who he was. So I shook his hand and he said, I'm the architect. He looked quite upset with me. And I just said, oh, I'm sorry. You know, great job, by the way. Not knowing it. And then we went on to watch the show, and huge amounts of the show are like in his studio in London, and him having ideas and talking to the camera and saying how he really wants to help these people with their house. And you know, he's kind of this minor celebrity. And in architectural world, he's probably quite a big celebrity. And I did not know who the architect was. So there I am, standing in this lovely house, refurbished, this beautiful kitchen, open plan dining room, all designed by this guy. And I shake his hand, and I'm like, I don't know who you are. Hey, that was awkward. But don't we see that in the world? We stand in this creation that God's made. We look around, it's beautiful, it's perfectly formed, it's well designed, it all works, it fits together. And yet when we meet him, we say, I'm sorry, I don't know who you are. That's a bit embarrassing. Well, at least I got it out of the way with an architecture uh, guy on earth rather than an architecture guy in heaven. When an architect sets his mind to something, he really knows what he's about, and he makes it far better, far bigger, far more wonderful than we could have set our heart to. And I would hate for anyone here to go through life designing their own plans, thinking they're the architect of their own life, their own future, design, 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 get to heaven and say, and who are you to the Lord when we meet him? That would be embarrassing. So hey, this earth, this life right now is a great opportunity to say, God, I don't have any idea about architecture, but I believe you're a great designer. God, I don't know about designing my future or my life or my time or what I'm going to do, where my career is going to be, who I'm going to spend time with, what my sales is going to be like, what my disciples are going to be, anything. God, I don't know. But I think you're a great architect and I trust you and I'm going to ask you to be in charge of all those things. That's how we want to live our lives now. That's how I want to live my life now. My brother-in-law, uh, Rich, some of you will remember, he has not been uh, in the UK, not been living in the UK for probably five years now. 
And uh, I, I met him when he was 16, I think. And I started uh, dating Karis at university, and I came back and I met him. And by and by, bits of his life story, I sort of got to know him, and I got to know bits of, of what made him tick and what he was about. And at that sort of time in his life, he actually what he really wanted to be when he grew up was a helicopter pilot, was a, a, a naval helicopter pilot. He wanted to fly choppers. And I mean, the guy's a genius. He uh, physics and maths A-levels, he could have quite easily gone on to do all of that kind of stuff. He had the right background, the right way of looking at the world, the right mindset for all of that sort of thing. And so that was kind of somewhere in him, he really wanted to do that sort of thing. But around that time, as I was getting to know him, really, um, he received this call from God that actually his destiny lay elsewhere. He felt that God had spoken to him about being a pastor when he, that was going to be his call in life and where he found himself. And so instead of applying for um, degree courses that could lead into uh, kind of piloting type stuff. Actually, he applied, he did apply for some physics stuff, but actually he applied to do theology at university because he felt that was the, the right thing to set him up in this path of being a pastor. So his choices at that stage in his life reflected how he felt God was designing his future. Then by and by, actually, when he got places at university, he got a number of offers like I say, he was a bright guy, still is a bright guy, got a number of offers from different places, one of which was at Oxford University. Now, they don't just let anybody into Oxford University, as I believe we mentioned a few weeks ago. <laughs> and we'll say no more about that. But I just... <laughs> so he got a place at Oxford to do theology. He also got offered a place in Durham. And he, he said to himself, and he prayed, and he kind of reflected on this situation, but his heart was, hey, I want to grow the church in Newcastle where I am. So he treated it as a, as a commute. He commuted to Durham to study, and his heart and his base and his life was here. And that's where he wanted to grow a cell, and he did grow a cell, and this is where he saw himself winning people and gathering people. So he chose theology instead of piloting. He chose Durham instead of Oxford. And as he was a student, actually, he was in a, a band with a couple of the guys he knew from sixth form. Uh, and they were doing all right. You know, they were getting some gigs on the kind of Newcastle pub and bar scene and all of that stuff. And, but it got to a point where the other guys were getting really quite serious about where they might take that band and the time commitment and the ask on him was getting higher and higher. And at a point, he was praying about it and sort of saying, you know, God, I love, being in a, I love being in a band. You know, great fun. He loves music, very musical guy, really creative and all that stuff. Love the experience. But actually, I, I feel like I need to invest my time in the, the young men in my cell group and in the kind of worship band of our church. And so he said to the other guys in the band, look, I think this is where I part company with you effectively. God bless you. May it go well with you. Have great success in, in the band. I hope the band goes really well. He was great about the whole thing. Um, but actually he sort of you know, felt that was the time for him to exit because he felt that God had a different architectural design for his future. And you know that band, I don't know if they're still together. Um, I'm sure you could probably find them on Facebook if you wanted to. But I don't believe that they've been signed by um, part of the Universal Music Company. Um, I don't believe they've released two albums, two of the US, two of South America, um, played in Asia and in different parts of Europe, played in front of a, a, a stadium of 200,000 people. I don't believe they've had that kind of level of success. And yet when I look at Rich's life, that's the success that he's enjoyed in this world by recognizing that God's calling him into a different architectural design. And so I look at his life sometimes and I think there's a, there's a guy who really got hold of God's plan and purpose. There's a guy who said, well, I might have some ideas, I might have some planning skills, I might have some blueprints for how I think my life might go, but hey, I'm going to roll these blueprints out and say, well, God, what are you doing 
in these? Is this where you see my future and my direction? Is this where you want to take me? And if it's not, I'll just roll those blueprints up and I'll see what you're saying. I might not understand all of it right now, but I'll trust that in the long run it's going to work out okay. And when we go and visit him, he's a pastor in Miami, now in our family of churches effectively, and you know, with his wife and his kids and the house they're in now and the, just everything that he's putting his hand to in the vision in terms of helping people and influencing people in the city that he's in. God's really prospering him in that. And sometimes we reflect, hey, there's a guy who laid down his own architectural designs because he trusts that God was a good architect and a good builder. So this morning, I just want us to respond by making some choices of our own. And really the first choice is whether we're going to be those people who get distracted by sideways or whether we're going to be those people who say, God, what is your version of normal here? Whether we're going to be those people who get pulled backwards or whether we're going to be those people who say, God, what is it that you're calling me forwards into? So will you stand with me? And we'll pray. If you feel like you're one of those people who is struggling to put the past to rest and you need those sliding doors to close and shut your past off from you and shut you off from your past, then just where you are, raise a hand or take a step forward or something just as a way of making that declaration saying, God, just from this moment, I want to put my past behind me. And Father, I pray for every person responding to that, that release and grace will come that our experience this morning will be a breaking from our past a breaking from past regrets and a breaking from past hurts Father I pray that you'll bring great hope great encouragement into people to believe that you're calling them forward into a good future and into freedom The other decision I believe that God really wants to work on with us is that choice to, to let him be the architect of our lives. Whether we want to run around making our own blueprints and designs and having our own ideas and thinking we get to come up with all of this stuff or whether we're willing to say, God, what is it that's on your plan for my life? God, what are the blueprints that you have for me? How do I step into your design and if you want to make that choice with me this morning I just want to invite you to come join me at the front really as a way of saying hey God I choose today to step into your blueprints for my life I choose today to step into the things that you have for me I choose your plans and your vision and your agenda and your purpose over my own such a blessing to lean back and trust that where God's the architect he's also the builder where he designs he also gives strength and resources to see those designs through Holy Spirit I pray in this moment that you will speak to the hearts of each person responding to your word actually stir God Holy Spirit I pray I believe it's in your heart Holy Spirit to stir up dreams now 
to stir up dreams of what uh, an adventure with you looks like, to what a, a future with you, what crazy big scale blueprints you've got for us. God, I pray, Holy Spirit, in this time you'll stir up uh, a new way of thinking, a new way of seeing our future, a new way of seeing where we might be and go in life, the types of people we'll be. Holy Spirit, I believe it's in your heart to to show just a, a corner of those blueprints to whet our appetite and push us into seeking more. And I pray, Holy Spirit, as we do follow your purpose and your building and your design work, that you'll be the builder, that you'll release strength and resources and grace, faith, determination to see you come through and design what's in your heart to design and build what's in your heart to build.